Good morning. Wasn't that a beautiful song? You know, that was one of my great uncle's favorite songs, Irvin. There's probably not too many in the assembly, some that are still here, that remember him. But he used to love to play. And he could play the piano and he could play the guitar both by ear. And he loved the Lord very much. And this is one that he really liked. And it's so true. No one ever cared for me or cared for you like Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He loves us even knowing our bad side. Everything about us, our sins, our, our problems, our hang-ups, our issues. And He loves us. And He loved us to the end and went to the cross for us. And we're so thankful that we have such a friend in Jesus Christ. Shall we just open in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we come to You as empty vessels, Lord, and ask that You would fill us that you would teach us this morning, that you would have your eye upon us and speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to realize how much you love us and how much you care for us. And we pray now that we will listen to the word of God and that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, Lord, and that you will indeed hide me behind the cross. And just pray that the words spoken will be your words, Lord, and that they will touch hearts that only you can touch. And we pray that you will change our lives and send us on our way rejoicing, different than we even walked in. And so we pray now and we thank you for this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, many of the problems that we experience in life are of our own making many times. And the problem is we don't set the right priorities. We allow the things of the world to take a higher precedent over the things of God. And so we see it time and time again among God's people, especially in many churches, where Christ is not exalted and elevated to the very highest place, whether it be in a church or in in our individual lives. And the Lord wants to be first. He doesn't want to share his glory with another. Our God is a jealous God. He loves us. He wants all of us, all of our hearts. He doesn't want us to give the leftovers of our lives to him. He wants us to put him first in everything. Sadly, we see in our nation today what happens when a nation turns their priority away from God and puts it on to material things, financial things, uh, things that don't matter in the light of eternity whatsoever. Our priorities as a nation are just completely upside down. And sadly, it happens to many people in life. If you don't have God as your priority, nothing's going to work. It's not going to fit. Your life is not going to fit. It's not going to work out. You'll be able to do nothing of value. We need to have the right priorities in life. The title of our message is Putting Christ First in Everything. Putting Christ First in Everything. I thought of an acronym that is really good and hopefully it'll help us to remember the priorities we should have in life. And it's the word come, C-O-M-E, come. Christ first, others second, myself last, every day. Come. Christ first, others second, myself last, every day. And just think it's so simple. Little kids can understand that. So easy for us to follow, but so hard to put into practice that in everything, in my giving, 
in my worshiping, in my coming to church, in my serving the Lord, in my going to work, in my going out to do errands or wherever I go. Put Christ first. And when we put him first, he will bless us tremendously. I know Adel, and he's listening to the message, loves that verse that says, I will honor those who honor me. It's a time-tested principle from the Word of God. We put Him first. He takes care of all the rest. When John Payne was here with us a number of years ago, he taught us a little chorus that is still stuck with me to this day. It's beautiful. It says, With eternity's values in view, Lord. With eternity's values in view. May I live each day's work and do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you think about it, think about this. We're closer to eternity than we've ever been before. The Lord's coming is very near. And so we need to have our focus on eternity. Right now in the Bible memory class, we're studying about heaven. And that's the kind of priorities the Lord wants us to have in our lives is to have the priority of heaven. My dear cousin Jessica, who is home ill today, has the license plate that I love very much that's living for heaven. And I love that license plate because every time I see it, it reminds me that this earth is not where we're going to end up. We're going to end up in heaven with the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you don't know him as your Savior, you don't have hope. You don't have hope of being with him. And the Bible says that those who know Christ will be with him in heaven. Those who reject Christ will be in hell. It's a choice people have to make. And if people have the right priority to see that eternity is more important than this earth, they'll be fine. But if they don't, they're just going to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow they die. That's what the scripture says people have that don't know the Lord. And in, this pa- in the passage in Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord talks about all the things that the Gentiles seek after. He says, I know you need food. I know you need clothes and shelter. And these are things that everybody's concerned about today, especially in our economy, especially when we see what's happening to our nation's economy, our state's economy, to all the cities and counties. It's amazing. But the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that are so important to us shall be added to you. You know, God is never a taker. He's a giver. He doesn't subtract from our lives. He adds to our lives. So when we put him first, he's promised to add to us and give to us everything that we need in life. But the key is to have the right priorities every day. Christ first, others second, myself last. Every day. And may the Lord help us to be encouraged to have the right priorities. If you were to take out a piece of paper today and you had a pen or a pencil, and I was to say to you, write down your three most important priorities in your life. Write them down. Write them down. What would be at the very top of your list? Would Jesus Christ be at the top of your list? Jenny sang that song this morning. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. He cares for you. He wants us to put him at the top of our list so that he's first in our lives. Today, we're going to look at three things. Christ first. 
He must be first in our affections. Christ must be first in our attitudes. And Christ must be first in our actions. It's a challenging message. This message challenged me. I was preparing it and I was thinking, Lord, am I putting you first in everything? Or am I somehow just giving you 90%, 99%? Or am I giving you 100%? Am I giving you my whole heart? That's the question. Is Jesus Christ the most important person in my life? Now, we all have husbands and wives and sisters and brothers and cousins and friends and family members that we love very, very much. But of all the people that we love, we love Jesus the most because he's our savior. He loved us enough to die for us, to make a new and living way so that we could go and be with him in heaven. Reminds me of what the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, he talked about the priority of affection and who we should love more in our lives. And in this verse, in these verses, it says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he spoke the word, he spoke it straight on. He didn't mince words. He didn't beat around the bush. He says, if you're going to be a follower of me and be worthy of me, you've got to love me first. You've got to put me first and you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a challenge. And we mentioned last week at the breaking of bread and then we mentioned it also this morning at the breaking of bread about the story of Mary of Bethany. And I just want to read this story because it touches my heart to see a woman who was truly in love with the Lord Jesus, loved him with all her heart, considered him more important and more special than anyone else in the world. And we see what she did here is anoint his, his feet with her fragrant perfume that she had kept from the day for her, for her wedding day. It says in John chapter 12, beginning at verse one. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. It had to be the most beautiful smell. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. It's an amazing thing. She loved the Lord so much that she took this very costly perfume and poured it out on the Lord. And we all know that it was worth one year's worth of wages. And she loved the Lord that much. She says, Jesus is worth more to me than this perfume. He's worth more to me than my future bridegroom. He's worth more to me than all the things of earth. 
And that's the way she felt. And so she did it. Despite the fact the disciples, especially Judas, thought it was a waste. We could have sold this for 300 denarii. We could have given it to the poor. Jesus said, you're going to have the poor with you all through your life. You can do good to them. You're not going to have me always physically with you. And so what this woman has done, and he says in another passage, shall be spoken of her throughout the whole world, wherever this gospel is preached. Her name is going to be mentioned as one who loved the Lord to the maximum and who cared for his interests. Yes, it's never a waste what we do for the Savior. Never a waste. It's always a blessing. And then we see another example of somebody that loved the Lord was Peter. Now, we all know the story of Peter. And Peter was a great apostle, a great disciple, and he loved the Lord. He was always, though, the one that was kind of speaking up, putting his foot into his mouth, saying things that maybe he regretted later. And yet, when the time came down to it, He denied the Lord three times. You say, how could he do it? He was the one who had just said, Lord, I'll never deny you, even though everybody else may deny you. I'll die with you, Lord. But it was all spoken of in his flesh. He didn't have the power. And so when the time came, he denied the Lord three times. So when the Lord met up with Peter and the other apostles that had gone fishing, he spoke to them and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times he asked him that question. The first time he said, Peter, do you love me? Agape. Do you love me with that, with that sacrificial, godly love, the love of God? And Peter says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. That's the, he used the word phileo. Jesus used the word agape. Second time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I'm fond of you. And then the third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And by this time he's getting grieved because he's remembering back that three times he denied the Lord. And now three times the Lord's asking him this question, do you love me, Peter? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. And he told him to feed his sheep and tend his lambs. And Peter was never the same after that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, became one of the greatest preachers ever. And when the day of Pentecost came, he preached the gospel to thousands of people and they got saved. 3,000 people in one sermon. He loved the Lord so much he was willing to die. And it tells us by history and tradition that Peter was crucified for his Savior. And when he knew that he was going to have to be crucified for the Lord, he made a request to them. He said, don't crucify me like my Lord. Crucify me upside down because I'm unworthy of my Lord. He loved his Lord so much. He loved God's sheep and God's people so much. He cared for them. And he had an affection and a love that was so special. Yes, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15 what the true motivation should be for every Christian to make Jesus first, put him first in our affections. He says this, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died for all and all die, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. The whole motivation of the Christian life to me is love. If Jesus loved me enough to go to that cross and suffer and bleed and die in extreme pain and agony, take my sins upon himself, 
How can I, out of love, not give him everything, not put him first in everything that I do and have that kind of intensity to love that we give him all the glory? I read a poem by a man who wrote this named Francis Xavier, and he wrote this in the 1500s. That's a long, long time ago. But he wrote this poem entitled Love for God, and I thought it was such a beautiful one. It says, I love thee not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because who love thee not are lost eternally. Thou, O my Jesus, thou didst me upon thy cross embrace, for me didst bear the nails and spear and manifold disgrace, and griefs and torments numberless, and sweat of agony, yea, death itself and all for me, who was thy enemy. Then why, O blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well, not for the sake of winning heaven, nor of escaping hell, not up from the hope of gaining aught, nor seeking a reward, but as thyself has loved me, O loving, precious Lord. So would I love thee, dearest Lord, and in thy praise will sing, solely because thou art my God, and my most loving King. The biggest question to me is this. Do I love the Lord Jesus because of what He gives to me? Or do I love Him because of who He is? That is really the question. So many Christians, so many people love to get, love to receive the blessings from the Lord. They love the Lord because of what He is continually giving. But then... What happens if the giving stops? Are they still going to love the Lord? That was the big test in the book of Job. Remember that when Satan said that, when God said, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, yeah, you've put a hedge about him. You've blessed him and given him all these things. Of course, he loves you. But you take away these things that he has. You take away his family. You take away his children. You take away his business and his sheep and all these things. And guess what, Lord? He'll, he'll curse you to your face. And so God allowed Satan to test Job and put all these boils on him and take all these things away from him. And in the end, Satan lost big time because Job didn't curse God. He didn't turn away from God. He didn't complain. He was very sad. He was very discouraged. But he never lost his faith because he loved God for who he was, not just for what he gave to him. And that's the way the Lord wants us to be also. There have been times in my life where the Lord has asked me to do something for someone. And I have come down to the point where I've said, Lord, I'm going to do it just for you. I'm not doing it for the person's sake, because sometimes people are not responsive. They're not thankful. They're not easy to get along with. But when you do it in Jesus name and you do it for that person as unto Christ, the Lord will bless. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to put him first in our affections. Just as Mary did, just as Peter did, just as Job did, just as every believer in Christ in the New Testament and Old Testament did. And that's our first point today. Put Christ first in your affections, because when you put him first in your affections, then everything else will fall into place. It really will. Secondly, he wants us to put him first in our attitudes. You know, when you have a good attitude and you have joy in your heart and you're just filled with praises to the Lord, that attitude is going to rub off on people. They say joy is contagious, and it really is. If you see someone smiling, you see somebody happy and rejoicing, it's going to rub off on you. 
Conversely, if you see someone down and, and frowning and miserable and baptized in lemon juice, as Bill McDonald used to say, baptized in lemon juice, that's how some people are. And they're born-again Christians and they're somehow not finding anything to rejoice in. Come on, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to thank the Lord that He's given us and done for us, especially our salvation. And we should not go around with a bad attitude because it reflects poorly on our Savior. We should go around with a thankful spirit and a joyful spirit because that is the way we portray Christ. We want to have an attitude that says, Lord, I will. Whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it joyfully. I'm going to do it faithfully. You know, on Saturday mornings, I come to the church to open it up for Maria, who's our cleaning lady. She comes in and cleans the church. And while we're doing that, and I'm doing a lot of duties and things here at the church, there's a group of men out there. And they're, they're taking care of our grounds. Not for money. Not for prestige, not for recognition. They don't want to be recognized, but they do it faithfully. They mow the, the, the things down. They, they gather all the leaves. And sometimes in the wintertime, it used to be, especially when we had those trees up there, I'd see them leave, they'd drive off in their cars, and then I'd see the big wind come and it'd blow all the wind waves back. And I'm saying, oh Lord, they worked so hard. But thank God the Lord had us take out those trees. It's a lot better now. But you should see them and they're working joyfully and they're working thankfully and they're all working as one. And it's just it's just a blessing to me. I can never thank them enough. I always thank them. Thank you for helping because it's a great blessing. When you stop to think of how much it would cost us to pay out to have landscaping done. Well, actually, we know how much it was because this one landscape company sent us a bill and we are a. Uh, they looked, not a bill, but they sent us a proposal on how much it was going to charge. And it was so much. And we said, Lord, we can't afford to do that. That's going to be a burden on God's people. And then the Lord raised up these men and they're faithful men to serve. And we know that we have not only people out there on Saturdays, we have people here serving on Sundays and Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And everybody has a part in a ministry and they're doing it from their heart because Christ is first in our affections. He's first in our attitudes, and we say, yes, Lord, I will do it. I'm reminded of the story, and we'll, we'll read it this morning from Acts chapter 9 and verses 10 through 19. It's a story of Ananias. Now, Ananias was a godly Christian man, and he loved the Lord very, very much. And whatever the Lord ever asked him to do anything, Ananias would say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, in this passage of Scripture, we see that the Lord asked him to do something very, very difficult. Very difficult. He asked him to go to Saul of Tarsus and restore Saul and, and talk to him and minister to him. He had just gotten saved. Saul had just gotten saved, who became later known as Paul. And now Ananias is to go to him. It says in verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and said to the Lord in a vision... Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. Little did he know what the Lord was going to ask him. So the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Saul of Tarsus. Okay, 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with his with, with the disciples at Damascus. Here's what he asked him to do. Ananias, I'm sending you on a mission. And I'm sending you to Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Now you take any criminal who's like on the FBI's number one most wanted list and put that name at the top there. And then I'm going to say, hey, Brad, I'm going to send you over to this criminal. He's, he's in a fortress with all these weapons, right? You'd say, you're crazy and you're sending me by yourself. The Lord asked him to do that. He asked him to go to this murderer. Saul was a murderer of Christians. He was dangerous to Christians. And you're saying, Lord, you want me to go? I'll go. And he did it for the Lord. And it's so amazing because he says, he put in there, the Lord put in there, he says, he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias. How could he back out now? Because he's saying, "You Lord, you told him in a vision that there's going to be a man named Ananias. And if I don't do it, what's going to happen? And so he was willing to do it and he did it. His attitude was, Lord, I'll do it for you. I'll trust you. It may be a dangerous mission. But I'm going to go. And then it's so neat. Look how he changes. His whole attitude changes. He says, Brother Saul. And I'm sure he hugged him. I'm sure he loved him. He says, now you're not a murderer of Christians anymore. You're not working against the cause of Christ. Now you've become a follower of Christ. And you've got to go out and serve the Lord. And that was a, that was a great thing. I'd like to sit down and talk to those two men about what that scene must have been like when it was so tense when he probably first walked into the room and met Saul for the first time. And then he's a brother in Christ. He's a newborn believer. And that is so great. His attitude was so right to do anything and everything that the Lord asks us to do. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to put him first in our thoughts. He wants us to put him first in our attitudes, in our motives, in our desires, so that Christ comes First, that we do everything as unto him. And in the Old Testament, there's never a better story than the story of Abraham. If God ever asked somebody to do something really hard in the Old Testament, it was Abraham. Remember what he did. At the age of 100, and his wife Sarah was 90, they, Sarah gave birth to a son and they named him Isaac. And his name means laughter. And they were so full of joy and so full of praise to the Lord. They were so thankful. This is the son we had been waiting for for so long. This is the promised son. And now God spoke to Abraham in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. And he said, now take that son of yours, that son whom you love, and go to a mountain called Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering. Parents, fathers, think about it. 
Would you be willing to do that? I mean, God does not ask us to do that kind of thing. But he, it says in the passage, he tested Abraham's faith. He tested him. He wanted to see, did he really love him all the way? Did he love him no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, no matter what he asked him to do? Abraham said, okay, Lord. He didn't question it. He didn't complain about it. He didn't doubt. He trusted God because he knew that even if he was to kill his son, that God could raise him from the dead. He had that kind of faith. And so when the time came and he took the knife, he was about to plunge it into the heart of his son. The Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am, Lord. Don't harm your son because now I know that you fear God. And he showed him over on the side. There was a ram caught with his horns in the thicket. It says, and they came and he took that ram and he offered it up in the place of his son. And that was something that God spared Abraham from that he didn't spare himself from. Because when God looked at his son on Calvary, he allowed him to die for us because he loved us so much. But Abraham had that kind of faith, that wonderful kind of faith that wasn't just a talking faith. It wasn't just a faith in the abstract, a faith in the mind. He put his faith into action and did it. He did it. And when we do that, we are a, a blessed people indeed. There are so many examples in the Old Testament and New Testament. God asked people to do some pretty inconvenient things. He asked them to do some pretty difficult things. He asked them to do things they didn't understand or agree with, but they did it, and they did it for the Lord. James Packard, in his book, Your Father Loves You, said, if you want God to guide us, if, you want God, if we want God to guide us, our attitude must be right. We must have an attitude that says, yes, Lord, whatever your will is. We can't put a caveat and says, yes, Lord, as long as you don't ask me to dot, dot, dot. But we've all done that, haven't we? We say, Lord, I'll be able, I'll be willing to do whatever you want me to do, but just don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to do this. Don't ask me to do. But we have to come to the Lord and we have to say, I'll do it, Lord, whatever you want me to do. That is the kind of attitude. When we put Christ first, we say, We'll do it. And that's the way he wants us to be. In the book of James, he puts it very clearly for us. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He wants us to be doers of the word. So many times we talk a good game, but we don't play a good game. You know, a lot of times nowadays you see athletes like football players, basketball players. They're the most, to me, the biggest culprits of this. Other athletes, too, they brag and they boast and they talk trash. To me, it's never a good thing to talk trash. Lewis is laughing because I told him that one day. He was talking trash. They were going out to play a simple basketball game. I said, Lewis, I said, you don't talk trash, brother. I said, you honor your opponent. You, you shake your hand at your opponent. You, you praise your opponent because... Whether you win or whether you lose, you're, this is a game. But so many times people in the world, they take it so serious and they, and, they, and they don't do it. But when we put Christ first in our lives, he makes all the difference in the world. So may the Lord help us to put him first in our actions, in everything that we do. Now, we've got some teenagers in the audience, right? We've got, we got them right sitting back there. We've got a... a, a, a Amanda, we've got Julian, we've got Alexis, 
We've got Sarah over there. We've got other teenagers here. What's one of the biggest problems that teenagers have today when they go to school? One of the biggest problems? Peer pressure. And we often think, oh, you guys have a rough, you have peer pressure and that's really rough. And it is. I'm not minimizing it a bit, but the thing of it is we have, as adults, have peer pressure too. It's a different kind of peer pressure. It's when you show up at work and everybody is doing something that's not godly, that's not honoring to the Lord. We don't partake of it. We, we, we separate ourselves from it. We have to. Because peer pressure exists everywhere. And many times when we come across it, we have to stand up for the Lord. We have to take a stand for Him. And it means that we may not be popular. You know, a Christian young person, if you honor God and put Him first, He's going to bless you. But I can just about guarantee you're not going to be the homecoming queen. You're not going to be the class president. You're not going to be the the BMOC, the big man on campus. You're not going to be popular. If you talk about Christ and you honor Him, you're not going to be popular. But guess what? You're going to have a clear conscience. You're going to be rejoicing in God. And you're going to know that you've honored Him. And they may not consider you popular, but they'll respect you. They'll respect your stand for Christ. And it's so neat to see the many young people and older people as well that have stood for Christ and the Lord has blessed. And He always blesses us. So we want to put the Lord first in everything that we do. And we can't associate with people in the world and go over to their turf and to their side because they're going to pull us that way. We have to bring them to our turf, bring them to our side, invite them to church, invite them over to dinner to your house, bring them to your turf so that you can witness to them. But if you allow them to go to, you go to their turf where they're drinking and doing all kinds of things, it's going to be a detriment to our testimony and to our walk before the Lord. So we have to be very, very careful in our associations, in our actions. I read an amusing story, but a very vivid one, told by Charles Swindoll, which is entitled in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. And he tells the story about the spider, the bee, and the fly. So if you've heard this before, you'll enjoy it again the second time. If you've never heard it, hopefully it'll be a blessing. It says, once there was a spider who built a beautiful web in an old house. He kept it clean and shiny so that the the flies would patronize it. The minute he got a, quote, customer, unquote, he would kill it and clean up the mess so the other flies would not get suspicious. Then one day, this fairly intelligent fly, now this is the key to this story, this fairly intelligent fly flew by and the old spider called out and said, come on in and sit. Well, the fairly intelligent fly fly said, no, sir, I don't see other flies in your house. I'm not going in there alone. But presently he saw on the floor a large crowd of flies dancing around on a piece of brown paper. He was delighted. He was not afraid if lots of flies were doing it. So he came in for a landing. Just before he landed, a bee zoomed by and said, don't land there, stupid. That's fly paper. But the fairly intelligent fly responded back, don't be silly. Those flies are dancing. There's a big crowd down there. Everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Well, you know what happened. He died on the spot. If only he had listened to that wise advice given to him by the bee. 
And the question that the man asks is, what does it profit a fly or a person if he escapes the web only to end up in the glue? And so many times the devil, when he comes at us straight on, we say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I know that's wrong. But when we start listening to the subtleties of this world and we get our attention off of the Lord, we can be like that fly. Oh, everybody's doing it. It's got to be okay, right? They're all doing it. They're not having any... They're down there dancing. Well, they were dancing because they were stuck on the flypaper and it looked like they were dancing. The devil wants to hide things and make them look so desirable. He wants us to be careful on our actions that they are godly actions. The story of the spider represents three things, really. It represents the devil, who's the spider. It represents the bee, who's the godly friend and the godly counselor that helps us. And the fly, who's the foolish Christian who thinks he can somehow do these things in the world and not be affected by it. No, it doesn't work that way. That's why it says in the story, and I like this, he was a fairly intelligent fly. He wasn't an intelligent fly. He was fairly intelligent. And I think we as people today get fairly intelligent. We think we know a lot. We think we know the truth. We know the Bible real good. Devil can't get to me in that. No way. But you know what? The devil says, I can get to you even in the thing that you think you're the strongest in. He likes to do it for the challenge of it. He likes to trip us up in the things that we in ourselves feel really confident in. And then he gets us in our other weak areas as well. The Bible says that if something is, is doubtful, if it's something that's questionable, we shouldn't do it. Because our actions should be above board. It should be pleasing to the Lord. And it should be a good testimony. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if you're thinking of making a decision about doing something, if you can't do it to the glory of God, don't do it. We should not do it. Because to do it to the glory of God, you need to do it because it's pleasing to Him, it's right in His sight, and it's going to bring a blessing. And if we can't say yes to all of those things, we should not do it. The Lord wants us to put him first in our actions, put him first in everything that we do. So in conclusion today, we've seen three A's. Christ wants to be first in our affections. He wants us to love him more than anything or anyone else in this world. He wants us to be willing to say, Lord, I love you. I'll do it. And then he wants us to have that attitude that says, Lord, I will do it. I will please you. The same kind of attitude that, that Abraham had when he went and offered up his son. The same kind of attitude that Ananias had when he went and did that hard mission of going to Saul and Tarsus. He had the right attitude. And finally, he wants us to do everything to the glory of God. Yes, to please him by our actions, to practice what we preach. Because if we don't practice what we preach, you know what they're going to call us? A fake and a hypocrite. A fake and a hypocrite. And we don't want to be called that. We want our, our affections, put Christ first in them. Our attitudes, put Christ first. Our actions, put Christ first. When we do that, not only will it be a blessing to, to the saved people around us, but it will be a, a blessing to the unsaved as well. And like I said, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no way that Jesus is first in your affections, in your attitudes, or in your actions. It cannot be. 
You know about Him, but you don't know Him. He wants you to know Him in a personal way. Accept Him into your life. He's not only going to forgive your sins, but He's going to take over your life and He's going to make something beautiful out of your life. Isn't that amazing? God can take our shipwrecks. He can take our issues. He can take all our problems, all our sins, forgive them, and He can give us a new life and change us for the better. And what a blessing it is. So remember our little acronym. It's so true. Come, Christ first, others second, myself last in everything, every day. So may the Lord encourage us today to go forth today and put this into practice in our lives. Shall we just pray? Father, we just want to thank you for the challenge of your word today. And we pray that we would put you first in our affections, Lord, that we won't love anybody or anything more than you. And we won't allow anything to get ahead of you in our priorities, Lord. When it comes to you, Lord, help us to honor you. Help us to come to church faithfully, to give faithfully, to serve faithfully, because you did so much for us. Help us to have a good attitude of joy and and willingness and surrender to you. And help us, Lord, in our actions to be pleasing in your sight so that others will see that we belong to you. And so we pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing, take us home safely today, and help us to go on our way with a really thankful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.